0: I'd like to ask you to locate the book of Colossians in your Bible. Please locate the book of Colossians in your Bible. Good morning. I'll do the same here. We'll get situated and we'll get into the Word of God together, primarily in the book of Colossians this morning. One day a week, I get to teach presentation skills to eighth graders. There's this whole process to get there, to presentation. They're supposed to read the source material in advance and then come up with an issue from the source material that interests them and then write out dozens of pertinent pieces of information, affirmative and negative, around the issue. Then they're supposed to sort all that invented material and arrange it around main proofs and then sub-proofs. Then they're to take their outline and write a paper, and then they're supposed to edit the paper, writing and rewriting, considering memory and what best communicates the information to the ones that they're going to deliver it to. Uh, they, when they don't shortchange the process, when they follow the tools of writing each step of the way to presentation, it all comes together in the end. Not perfectly for them, but ably, with energy and persistence and sweat and toil, They get to presentation day with a finished product. Today, I want to speak with you about presentation. We agree that every one of us is going to face Christ, right? We're going to be presented before Christ one day. Some disagree that we are responsible for one another until that day. We protest, I'm only responsible for myself. And frightening as presentation may seem, and as much as we will need the help of God to stand on that day, I believe we are responsible to present every member of our church mature before Christ on that day, that we have a part to play. The actions we engage along the way are known in the theological world as ordinary means of grace. It's the things we do together to persevere in the faith. Today, as we look at Colossians, I want to urge you to take responsibility for your peers, for everyone, through the actions of proclaiming, warning, and teaching. Proclaiming, warning, and teaching are the means of how we're going to get to a mature presentation time on the day of the Lord. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, and while we're going to focus in On the last verses I read, I think we'll pick up in verse 21 and read down through verse 29. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 29. And you who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister." Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in the flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery which is Christ in you. Which is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Him we proclaim. Warning everyone and teaching everyone. With all wisdom that we may present everyone. Pontos Anthropos. Everyone. All. Presented. Every human. Present them How? Mature in Christ. Verse 29 For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Glance back up quickly at verses 21 and 22. You may notice this key word in verse 22 after having said that we were saved. We were brought from alienation and hostility in our thinking and our minds to Christ. It says that He's reconciled us in His body of flesh by His death. So Christ has done the reconciling, and the purpose of that is to present you. To present you how? Not all undone and messed up? No, He doesn't leave you the way you are when you're converted. His aim is to present you holy as He is holy. To present you blameless and above reproach before Him. So, to present... Peristeme is a verb. It's to cause something to be, or more simply put, to present. Notice the same word used in verse 28. Him we proclaim, that is Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may, you see that word, present, Peristeme. present, to cause something to be. It formally said, holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. We are to present everyone as mature, or teleos in Christ, complete in Christ. And this is our aim. It's something that Jesus ensures, and it's something that we are also responsible for. Through the ordinary means of grace, the labors that we have together, even some of the things that we are doing today. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to discuss this responsibility that we have for one another, for everyone, through proclaiming, warning, and teaching. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, please help us today to grasp your word in such a way that we didn't just log time being together, which would be faithful to be together, but that we were moved along in our growth. That today would be a waypoint we look back at and say, that was a day when God really helped me in a special way to move along, to move away from besetting sins, to move into greater levels of appreciation and worship for the grandeur and wonder of the Savior, who is Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, and all of God's children say, Amen. So first... We are responsible to present every member mature by proclaiming in prayer in church and in the world. So it says in Colossians 128, three words, him we proclaim. Do you see that very first three words of our key verse today? We need to proclaim Christ to ourselves in prayer. We need to proclaim or preach or profess Christ to ourselves in prayer. There's a traditional acronym to describe how one ought to go about the business of praying. ACTS, A-C-T-S, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. The very first letter in that is adoration. Individually, when you go to the Lord in prayer, before you get into other business with Him, it is proper and right, most of the time and ordinarily, to adore Him. Kind of like the Christmas song, O come let us adore Him. Adore Him for His grandeur. Try it. Thank Christ before you make supplication for the needs of others. Adore Christ in the beginning of your prayer. Keep your focus on Christ in prayer. This is probably why 19th century preacher McShane advised for every one look you take to yourself for assurance, take ten looks to Christ. When we start our prayer, we need to come and adore Jesus. Proclaim Christ to yourself. In every prayer, O Jesus, You are wonderful, You're eternal, You're in heaven, You will return. You endured the cross so that I can endure today. Get your fodder about Jesus from the Bible and then pray it back to Him in adoration. And continue steadfastly in prayer like Colossians 4 says, Oh, come, let us adore Him, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Adore Christ yourself in prayer. If Peter could keep his eyes on Jesus, then he could walk on water. When we look at ourselves, we start to sink. We're responsible to proclaim in prayer and also in church. We proclaim Christ in our worship services when we gather together. We sing the Word. We pray the Word together. We've already done that. Ably, our service leaders, guide us in this adoration. Christ we proclaim. Colossians 1.3 three tells us that the ministers pray for the members in a specific location in Colossae, which is now modern-day Turkey. They prayed consistently for knowledge of God's will and for spiritual wisdom amongst the believers and a walk to match the talk, Colossians 1, 9, and 10 says. Christ holds everything together, Colossians three fourteen says. Aptly, Colossians three four three 3, and 4 says, Pray also for us. The ministers ask for prayer. In effect, the service leaders ask for prayer. That God may open a door for the Word, an open door for the Word, to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which the Apostle Paul, the author of this letter in concert with Timothy, writing to the saints, he says, because of this Word and the mystery now revealed, Christ in you, Paul says, I'm in prison. So he wrote this and a few other letters from prison. They're called the prison letters. And then finally in verse 4, that I may... Make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. He asks for you to pray for the presenter of the gospel, the proclaimer of Christ, that the proclaimer would be clear. Don't you appreciate clarity from the presenter? And don't you appreciate clarity in the proclamation of the word? Perfectly, the presenter won't always get it. But as we proclaim the gospel, we need to aim for clarity. And here he asks that the proclaimed Word of Christ in the church would be prayed over, that it would be clear as it ought to be. Would you join me in that prayer in your personal prayer life? Pray that the Word would be clearly communicated. Nobody wins when the Word is muzzled or it's muted or when the Word is meandered around and not presented clearly. We need clarity. It is a gift from God when we hear the word clearly for understanding and then for application. We need to proclaim Christ in our worship services, not just to ourselves. The gospel is for the believers as well as for the conversion of the unbeliever. We don't just need the gospel for the A to B of getting into the Christian life. We need the gospel for the A to Z of the Christian life. We need to proclaim Christ to ourselves again and again and again as we proclaim Christ for all to hear and to see. We need to stay with what we were one with. Christ. His gospel. The good news. You heard and understood the truth, the Apostle Paul wrote, Paul, now in prison in A.D. 62, had heard of the reception of the gospel by the Colossians from Epaphras, a minister. It's an interesting story, really. Scholars believe that Epaphras received the gospel in Ephesus and then went back home to Colossae, which is 80, 100 miles east, and then told the gospel there. And we we don't think that the Apostle Paul actually planted that church. Colossians 1, 7, and 8 says it this way, Just as you learned it... From Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf as he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. The minister is described as one of the fellow members, Colossians 4.12, Epaphras, who is one of you. He's one of you. A servant of Christ Jesus greets you always struggling on behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. And so it's not just that you're praying for the ministers to present clearly, and that's your ministry. It's also that those that declare the Word of God to you are praying for you. There is reciprocity in prayer. There is implied relationship that can't be accomplished from always great distances and too large a ratio of elder to member. Paul was a fellow minister. Peter describes himself in 1 Peter 5 as a fellow elder. Those who are leading us and keeping the main thing, the main thing, that is Christ and proclaiming Christ, we must stay on message. Christ we proclaim. The mystery of Christ has been made known. The knowledge of God's mystery is Christ. That's what matures us and knits us together. It's Christ in us, the mystery now revealed. Surprise, here it is, all the promises Of the Old Covenant, complete in Christ. Every promise of God has its yes in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's something worth proclaiming, isn't it? And further, Colossians 3.11 says that Christ is all, but Christ is also in all. Look at how the verse ends. Christ is all, but He is in all. This mystery revealed. All different types of people, we have Christ in us as believers. We see Christ not only by looking up, but by looking out. We see Christ in one another through the giftings and the testimony of faith that each of us have. There is a reciprocity that Satan would seek to mute, to blunt the edge of, to get us to ignore. Member to member, minister to member, elders and all. We need the gospel preached to ourselves. Jesus said, though, that if he be lifted high, he will draw all men unto himself. Now, John chapter 12 talks about that, of his, of his crucifixion. But the principle remains, when Christ be proclaimed, when he be lifted high, Christ, through the message of his resurrection, will draw people to himself. We don't need to change the message. We simply need to be faithful to it. And so we need to proclaim Christ in the world. He said he would draw people to himself. He's still about the business of drawing people to himself. We just need to be faithful to to proclaim the message. This mystery of Christ, now made known, yields fruit, the gospel, the hope of glory. In another one of Paul's prison letters, the one to Ephesus, where Epaphras was converted, Paul writes of how, well, see, the plan of salvation, the mystery hidden for ages in God, is now made known, and how it is useful in seeing the world converted, seeing people converted, if it's only proclaimed. Listen to Ephesians 3, 9-12. It says, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, through the church, through the body of Christ, through us, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers, to the authorities in the heavenly places, but I think implied also the earthly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has now realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 12 concludes in whom we have boldness and access when we pray right with confidence through our faith in him. So this plan of salvation has now been made known in Christ and the church has a role in displaying and proclaiming the manifold wisdom of God this gospel to everybody including those that rule people in authority. People around us, we have a role in proclaiming Christ in the world. And it's a role that we need to take seriously and that we need to go about intentionally. So it's all according to the eternal purpose of God. This isn't anything new. I want to speak to you for a second, unbeliever. You can become a part of Christ also. You do not have to be on the outside looking in of communion. You can be on the inside. Unbeliever, you need only to repent of your rebellion and to rely on Christ for your eternal hope of salvation. Colossians two thirteen and 14 discusses what we baptized believers have. It says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses, no life, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Did you see that, friend? There is a record of debt against you with its legal demands by the righteous law of God, but you don't have to be judged by it. Christ can be judged by it instead. Receive Christ, your hope of glory. Proclaim Christ with us. He nailed your debt to the cross. You no longer have to bear it. Glory be to Christ. God showed His love for us. He showed His love for the world in that He gave His perfect Son that if only you would believe in Him, you would not have to perish as you are now but that you would have the gift freely of eternal life. Isn't that good news? And then you're on the road to maturity with the rest of us. You're a part of the everyone on the road. The gospel converts you, but it doesn't leave you alone. There's a togetherness in that verse that I just read. The gospel has means of grace to get you all the way to presentation time at the end before the Lord, where he's going to advocate for you. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is a glorious Savior. And so I want to ask you this morning to see the Lord as your greatest joy. See Him as your greatest joy in prayer. See Him as your greatest joy when we come together in worship. See Him as your greatest joy when you're talking about Him with People in the world that don't yet believe. Proclaim Christ everywhere and always. Christ rejected the viral frame, Tony Rinke says. He was never motivated by popularity. When the crowds most cheered him, he didn't care. When the crowds turned on him, he wasn't surprised. Every generation of Christians learns this hard lesson. Worldly popularity is fickle and vain. Proclaim Christ. Don't look around to see if the world approves. Proclaim Christ. Second, we are responsible to present every member mature by warning one another. And in our warning of one another, we need to do it specifically, willingly, and carefully. Specifically, willingly, and carefully. We need to warn one another specifically. There are specific things in the Bible we are called to warn one another about. Think about it conceptually for a moment. Medicines come with warning labels, don't they? When you get medicine, there's all kinds of warnings on it. Use this medicine this way and not that way. How about when you get into a vehicle and you drive down the road? Roads have warning signs on them, don't they? High water ahead. Yield. Merge. Go. Stop. We need to study the warnings in Scripture and post signs in the right spots wisely on the road for the journey of God's people all the way to presentation time. You may recall last Sunday, I preached the initial sermon of four in our discipleship series. That sermon on discipleship was about four trip hazards in the Christian life, four things that trip us up. I want to remind you of those now. In running this race, this discipleship race, it's popularity, unintentionality, isolation, and selfishness. That's what we talked about last week. That sermon from Luke 14, which is available online, carries some overlap with our second point here today of warning. Warning one another specifically. Warning aids in our persevering. Some specific warnings in Colossians come in Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5 and tracking all the way down to verse 10. I would urge you to read it on your own. I'm going to summarize it for you now. There's warnings against fornication, warnings against adultery, and viewing impurities on a screen. There's warnings against coveting other people's stuff enough to shape your life around the pursuit of stuff instead of the proclamation of Christ and the adoration of Christ. Colossians 3, 5, and 6 says it's immoral and idolatrous. And on account of this, the wrath of God is coming, which we want to flee. You lived this way, but now you don't. You put away these things. There's these warning signs in Colossians 3. Specifically, anger. Are you angry? Colossians 3 warns you find a healthy release for your anger. Are you vengeant? Are you wrathful? Remember that you've been forgiven so that you can forgive. Are you malicious? Where is the source of your spite? Do you slander one another? How can you jump to conclusions and lie about your siblings in Christ? Are you invested in their maturity too? Does obscene talk come about up out of your mouth? Kill it. Warning signs are special Means of grace to get us to family presentation time. Don't ignore the signs. We need to warn one another specifically and willingly. We need to be willing to warn one another. Renew willing warning of one another. Look specifically at Colossians 3.9. It says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Do not lie to one another. The one another's are thick here. And lying to one another, misrepresenting the truth to one another, is something that we should be warned not to do, church members. Colossians 3.12 calls you to put on the fruit of the Spirit willingly. And then Colossians 3.13-15 through 15 chases it and says, bearing with, again, one another... And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. It's a thick community. It says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Again, thick community. Harmony of what? Of us, of the body, of the church, of everyone therein. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let it rule. Let peace rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful. My friend, Brother Charles Cavanaugh, will be here next week to preach on this aspect of discipleship, that you love one another. So I'm not going to pontificate on that right now, but don't miss out next Sunday. Be here with me, and let's hear from him, from the Word of the Lord. Friends, more to the point, we know... That in order to warn one another specifically and willingly, we need the help of the Lord. We know it requires effort. It's hard, isn't it? We should seek to present an open door for one another in this. We're moving against the gravitational pull to move from the contentious or the wandering sheep toward them. From time to time, if we're honest, we're, we're each contentious. We're each wandering sheep. They're not special if they're a they and you're a you right now. Where are we? And we're to bear with one another. Even if we have a complaint with one another, seeking to forgive, to bring reconciliation. It's doing the hard. It's willful pursuit of the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. It's an eagerness to watch our tongues and count our complaints and let Christ rule in our insides. Because we are prone to wander too and we need to be willing to warn one another. It's maddening to remove road signs that help us on the journey, that help us stay on the road to where we're going. We need the correction to keep the community on the road, and we need the community if we're going to have anything worthy of correcting. It is youth-like pride that presses back against the warnings of Scripture. They're there to get us all the way home. We must persevere. These ordinary graces are God's means to help us persevere. And as I've already read... Colossians 1.23 says we need to persevere. If we persevere, we have to endure. Finally, on this second point of warning, we need to warn one another carefully. Specifically, yes. Willingly, yes. But carefully, with great care, with great wisdom. This is not the wild, wild west of church correction. That will get you into trouble. Colossians 4.6 says it best. It says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. A little dab will do you. Gracious speech, a little bit of correction in there, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We need wisdom for that, don't we? In a fallen world, our communication is corrupted. We need Christ to sanctify our communication. Your speech to one another needs to be mostly grace with sprinklings of warnings along the way. Too many road signs. It doesn't help you enjoy the journey. We need some truth darts, some salt here and there. Take the long view. Assess what a person is now ready to hear if you're in the driver's seat in a certain relationship within the church and be open to the fact that this other member may have an important piece of warning for you that you need to hear. It doesn't just go one way. If God's shown you favor in someone's eyes, that is for ministry. It's not for self-aggrandizement or ego. The Greek word in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 That's translated warning. In some of your translations, it's translated admonishing. The word itself is nutheteo, or it's been popularized, nuthetic. Nuthetic. Nuthetic was the the main word in the title of an organization that was given to biblical counseling. It was the National Association of Neuthetic Counselors, or NANC, N-A-N-C. That was their original name. It came from this word warning. Uh, Counseling was about warning. It was about neutheteo, or neuthetic. They dropped the Greek word and changed their name a few years ago. And now, if you look them up online, they are called the ACBC, which is also confusing if you ask me. But it's the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Association Certified Biblical Counselors. So you can find them online by typing that up. ACBC, I think, is their handle online. Biblical counseling is so needed in the church. Wouldn't you agree? It's so needed. We do a lot of it and should just in the relationships of discipling in the church. But occasionally, we just hit a a real hard place. And having a handful of people in the church that have given themselves to training and knowing the Word so that they can aptly administer a little salt in their gracious speech can make all the difference in the sanctification of a person in our body. Wouldn't you agree? Well-administered warnings made all the difference in my life, and I believe it will yours as well. But this takes courage, doesn't it? It takes courage to hear warnings from someone else. If you're interested in receiving this kind of training, uh, if you're really interested in that, you should talk to one of the leaders of the church. We would love to speak with you. If you have a heart for people and a grasp on your Bible, if you're growing in those ways, then you can help with the specifics of newthetic new or nuthateo, new warning, admonishing. We need to warn one another specifically, willingly, and carefully. Last thing on warning. I, I love a quote from a recent sermon by Douglas Wilson titled Cause and Effect. Here's what he says. Listen to this. Reject short-term and simplistic thinking. Humility brings wisdom, which excludes short-term and simplistic thinking. Proverbs 9.8 tells us that if you rebuke a wise man, he loves you for it. If you warn a wise man, he loves you for it. Wise men love the correction. I'm not going to build that thing that way next time because I've learned from the way that the world works I've taken the warnings that are embedded in the fabric of creation. Wilson says aptly, A fool doesn't want to change, and so a fool doesn't want to hear anything from anybody in any circumstance that that means they may have to change. They don't want to hear it. They box it out of their lives. I wouldn't be surprised to have Solomon have told us something, if modern, about rotating our tires or changing your oil every 3,000 miles. If you are lazy, prideful concerning things, then certain things will follow. Pride refuses to let friends say anything to you that might deter you from your chosen path. Even if it comes to the conclusion your counsel is not apt for that person, that person loves a friend that brings the counsel. That's the principle of the Proverbs. As a pastor... He said, have you talked with so-and-so about this thing that you're concerned about to a member that was concerned with someone else? And that member said, well, I've, I've tried. I've tried to talk with that person. And when I try to bring a warning or an exhortation or rebuke to that person, when I see, for example, how that person talks to their daughter, this is Wilson talking, not me, so I'm not subtweeting you. When I see how they talk to their daughter, I see that this four-year-old daughter is going to be a grief to their heart in ten years. I've tried to tell them, but they won't listen. When I try to talk to them, they get defensive and prickly. They get upset. Wilson says, why? Because they're being fools. You're acting like a fool. You're being unfaithful at that point. Humility brings wisdom. A different dear brother says to the pastor and to, to a faithful member, please rebuke me. It's like oil on my head. Please tell me if you see anything. Tell me. That brother wasn't promising to agree with everything that a church leader ever said, to shut his eyes and blindly follow whatever I came up with, but I knew him to be a wise friend that I could trust in return because he requested that I didn't hold back with him. That's wisdom, Wilson points out. You rebuke a wise man and he loves you. A warning, if someone gets huffy and defensive and prickly and responds to any form of warning by circling the wagons to protect whatever it is that you're questioning. That thing, even if it was interest innocent at first, that thing, the defensive reaction to that thing means that it's being defended foolishly. A person can love correction and simply say, I don't know if I agree, but thank you. I'm going to meditate on that. You don't have to get defensive when the warnings of Scripture are applied to you. Correctively, even. There are do's and don'ts in the Scripture. We need to be balanced, but we don't need to ignore the warnings of Scripture. They're not asymmetrical with sanctification. It's part of the ordinary means of grace that gets us all the way home. As a fellow member, you know, what do you see? Is there something you think I could be more faithful in? And vice versa. This is not to lob grenades. It requires precision and wisdom. Warnings have to be specific. They need to be careful. They need to be offered in such a manner that is willing with love. The correction is not just, our teaching is not just corrective. It's not just about warnings. It's also about formation. It's just general teaching. And that's the third aspect of our text today. We are responsible to present every member mature by teaching. And we need to teach in our services, in our studies, and in our homes. Let's refresh with Colossians 1.28. Him we proclaim, that was our first point, Warning everyone, Pontos, Anthropos, all people, I assume that to mean all the believers, warning everyone and teaching everyone, so now we come to our third point, teaching, with wisdom, with Sophia, with wisdom, that we may, let's remember the subjunctive, we're doing our part in, in doing what Christ has asked us to partner in, that is to see everyone presented mature in Christ. But there is this third aspect, past proclaiming and warning. There's just the rank-and-file teaching. Just the ho-hum stuff that needs to go on day-to-day and week-to-week and month-to-month and year-to-year. Except for it's not ho-hum if we get excited about what the Lord calls us to be excited about. Teaching is important. Teaching that's clear, as we said earlier. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone. Teaching everyone. There is a didactic or a teaching aspect to what we do here. Expositional preaching is predicated on that there is a God-breathed Word that needs to be read and comprehended by you. The Great Commission commands us to teach believers to obey all that Christ has commanded us. Well, where is all that Christ has commanded us written? In the Word. So we need to be taught it and to comprehend it. In Colossae, which is east of Syria and west of Greece... Actually, it's east of Greece and west of Syria. It's north of the Mediterranean Sea. It's right in there. It's modern-day Turkey. They rose up at one time the Colossus of Rhodes, which is about two-thirds the height of the Statue of Liberty. It's easy to imagine why the people in this geography had a rival way of viewing the world from Christ as supreme. Invariably, there was another brand of teaching that insisted on the worship of angels and detailed visions, a raunchy kind of continuationism that denied the sufficiency of Christ and of His Word of Scripture and denied the preeminence of Christ as the firstborn from the resurrection of the dead that didn't die again. They drifted off from messages proclaiming Christ to prideful propositions and wayward thinking. They, like we, had to be called back from pagan mindsets in the Colossus of Rhodes back to a Christian one. This necessitates the regular teaching of God's Word. When we discuss Christ as our head, think of the head as involving thinking, right? When you think of thinking, you think of the head, don't you? So who is it that teaches us how to think? It's Christ. Hear afresh Colossians 2.19. Holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. Indeed, this is from God, this growth. These teachings are from God. Our services move us from a me mindset to a we mindset, where we think about the whole group and not just ourselves. Putting, again, on the mind of Christ as our head, To be inextricably bound together as the body of the church, nourished for this growth, knit together. Our order of service, when we worship together, is designed to teach you the gospel even by its structure. The call, the confession, somber, not silly, hear from God's word, not man's platitudes and philosophies, confessing, and singing the faith, confessing and forgiving sin, baptizing and suppering and applying and reminding and thanking and petitioning. It all adds up to growth. It all adds up to discipleship. That's the ordinary means of grace. Neglect it, you don't grow. Embrace it, you grow. It's, It's Christ's plan, and He knows better than we do. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Ignore the ordinary means of grace to your own peril. We need to teach in our services. We need to teach in our Bible studies. It may go without saying that studies are for, well, they're for studying. They're not for gossiping in the name of an undisciplined prayer hour. It needs to be said, too many studies I've been to where not much teaching is going on. Thankfully, we are catching a vision to pray seriously and also to teach seriously in our studies. Studies are for studying. God's Word nourishes us. We need it. We offer Bible studies to help us along in this growth. I urge you to engage them. The women's study just started back a few Wednesdays ago. Jump in on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and hear the Word of God taught. That study is for women, not for men, in case you needed to know. On Sunday afternoons at 2 o'clock, there's an online option. If you have little kids that need to go down for a nap. Pastor Kurt facilitates a a teaching in the conference room. You can show up, but you can just actually get on our Facebook and just be taught. Just study the Word of God. Just grasp it in. If you're married, you can sit down on the couch with your spouse and just listen. You don't even have to be present. You can be. Right now they're studying how elders must be able to teach, which kind of hits a couple of different points, as well as have a serious character example in the home and in the church. The study about elders is for everybody because everybody needs to know the job description of an elder. The reason so many churches fail is they don't know what an elder is supposed to be. You have to pick a church at some point in your life. So you need to know what an elder is supposed to look like. They're largely going to to help steer the church. A few of you will aspire to be an elder. So you need to know, you need to study what the Bible says, the biblical data about eldership, before you actually need to apply it. This study in the afternoon is set in a larger study based on a paper I wrote about 18 months ago titled Leadership Training Corps. And so aspiring elders are supposed to read the nine books that I annotate about in that, in that leadership training corps before being considered for leadership positions in the future. So we're going to repost that paper to our members' page this afternoon. And I invite you and urge you to give, you, give it a read. Learn to grow through reading and writing yourself clear. Don't count yourself out before you've even read it we meet you where you are and we teach you how to do this. In Colossians 4, Paul serves as a guide for us of intention. He says in Colossians chapter 4 verse 5, make the best use of your time. Don't flitter it away, don't waste it. Be careful in your speech, adapting your speech aptly, knowing how to answer every person. This is intentionality. It's careful Teach with clarity, Colossians 4 says. Making it clear, which is how you ought to speak, Colossians 4 4 says. We need to labor and struggle and even suffer to grow into speaking clearly about gospel teachings. We need to teach clearly. This is our toil. Studies we offer are not perfunctory time slots to be accommodated for those with extra time. Studies are not just for those that have a steady personality. Studies are for everyone. Senior hires have a study. Junior hires do. At 9.15 on Sundays, adults have a study. Friends develop. Teaching matters. We have begun a children's study with parents and children together this fall for a season. It's called Project Telios. Telios in this passage, meaning mature, being presented mature. We meet in the Family Life Center at 8.45 a.m. to study together with children and teach parents how to lead family worship time at home with their kids. It's part of the vision of our church right now. And it's taken right out of the main Bible verse for today's sermon. Colossians one twenty eight, Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. And we do so warning everyone and teaching everyone that we may present everyone teleos, mature. Maturing Christ. We need to teach in our homes. Family worship time needs to be recovered by every family in my hearing. If you want your biological kin... To stand in the family at presentation time on the last day. You need to teach your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren the things of Christ. Some of us have this idea that if it didn't originate with me or I didn't have the habit of doing it, I can't embrace it. That's prideful. We need to embrace the things that make sense by the Word of God and do the things that makes for edifying one another and teaching the things of Christ to one another. It all comes together in Christ. Maturity, completion, teleos, to bring to its end. Our aim together is maturity in Christ. So let me just ask you a few questions. Are you willing to sacrifice your time to help each other in this? Are you willing to submit to leaders as they set a vision for discipleship in our body? Are you too entitled to take up your cross and follow Jesus daily? Do you need to die to entitlement? Are you too timid to... Tell, are you too cowardly for the courage to correct or receive correction? Are you too in love with the world to die to it, to live for Christ? Too scared of your own biological family to tell them the truth about Christ's family? Are you so tightly wound as a law keeper that you wouldn't think of getting messy with the other sheep and helping them live the law of love with one another? I say you, I say I, I say we, am I? Are we protecting our consumption to the neglect of contributing to discipleship? Will we, will you, will I allow this little book, this four chapters in Colossians, will I allow it to refocus me on discipleship, the aim of presenting one another mature? The public is watching to see if we really believe This gospel, when the hard things of life come. With the help of Christ, let us live such discipleship-focused lives that they too will one day glorify God at His visitation. Discipleship is the only thing that can bring unity in Christ's church. We're so different. Discipleship, striving for the goal, brings peace among man and wife and parent and child. It can bring peace to brothers and sisters, earners and retirees, to the financially strained, strapped, as well as the financially comfortable to managers and workers alike, to singles and stay-at-home moms alike, to marries and widowed. Discipleship can bring peace to Asians and Africans and Americans, regardless of where we come from. Discipleship can bring peace to the sick and the well, binding us together. This goal brings us into the same cause and presents a beautiful local church to Christ on that day. Some would say, That Christianity is an individual commute from the start to the finish. Some would say God is to judge an individual's faith. But judgment begins in the house of God, 1 Peter says. We are to increase the quality of one another's faith by striving for maturity together. Some say the Bible's commands are for individuals only. The church should stay out of folks' business, they protest. But the church body is tasked with things that can't even be accomplished with that mentality. God saves individuals but seamlessly adopts them into a family in which they are to function. The family of God, the body of Christ, the church. And that church locally where we proclaim and warn and teach is where we use our gifts. The letters of the New Testament were written to be read to local churches by local leaders. Colossians is even written to all the saints as it opens. Revelation 2 and 3, which we'll see when I get back from the preaching conference I'm going to at the end of this month for 20-something singles in Ohio. When I get back, we're going to see in Revelation 1, 2, and 3 how the Lord addresses specific local churches, one of them just down the street from Colossae, Laodicea. He urges them not to be lukewarm, but to be useful. He addresses them via their angel or pastoral messenger near the geography of Colossians. Christianity may begin with an individual Conversion, But it doesn't end that way. God's design within Himself is community. It's trinity. It's triunity. And His intent for us in His creation is to grow or to mature in community. We're all responsible for everyone in this body. As I said earlier, every person presented mature in Christ. Not counting interested parties that show up once or twice, but counting credible professions of faith passing them through the waters of baptism, amalgamating them into the membership of the church, and laboring together in the Word to see them presented on that day before Christ. That's why we proclaim Him and warn and teach everyone. That's why we do what we do, is with the aim to maturity. It's with the aim to see everyone presented. The matter is about Christ. Look at Colossians 3.16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let this word dwell. Teaching and teleasing one another with all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God for all of this. It's like Colossians 1.28, isn't it? It's similar to it. Him we proclaim. We are responsible to present every church member mature by wisely proclaiming and warning and teaching all of us, one another. And it's messy, but we can get there because we have peace through a blood-spattered cross. Compare the presentation I talked about in the beginning of this sermon, students scurrying around trying to get a presentation in front of a class, to the fact that the Lord says in Colossians 1 that there's going to be a presentation day for you and for me where we're presented before the judgment seat of Christ. Will it be Christ's blood for you, or will it be your work for yourself? We are about the business with one another of preparing for that presentation, that day. And we labor together for that presentation time. And in a very real sense, it's a family affair in how we get there. So let's embrace it for what it is. Let's give it all we've got. And let's long for the day in which the Lord's kingdom becomes where we reside forevermore in the name of Christ. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Lord, until we're able to be with you on that final day, until the end, until faith's family presentation time, we ask you to help us to prepare well for that day, to grow in sanctification, to eagerly receive warnings, to eagerly receive teachings, to proclaim you in all that we do, in all that we sing, and all that we say in prayer to proclaim you to a watching world. We need your help in this. We pray for unbelievers to believe. We pray for discipleship in our church through friendships and studies and sermons and all of our worship. We pray, Lord, for our members and our missionaries, for those that are sick, those that are hospitalized. We thank you for some good reports we've gotten, and we grieve recent losses in member families and our community. We pray for all who have contracted sickness and we pray that they would be well. We pray for justice. We pray for another season of relative peace where we can travel and learn and grow in peace. We pray for those in our church that are under discipline to be restored, for prospective members to have the gospel shared with them and professed. I ask that you bless our church, that you bless all of our offerings and our work. And we express our love to you, Jesus, in whose name we pray. And all God's children said, amen.